Uh, okay. Um, on Thursday of this past week, as we all, of course, know by now, the Elizabethan age it came to a, a conclusion. On Thursday of this past week, Queen Elizabeth uh, II died. She passed away. Now, regardless of our views about monarchy or our views about the royal family, there is, of course, no doubt, and I'm sure we would all agree, that this is an incredibly significant moment in the life of our country, isn't it? This is a time where for so, so many people, the reality of death is again hitting home in these moments over this weekend. The vacancy, the vacuum left by death, the weight, the weight of death, it presses upon us and our nation, our country, anew. Well, if last week uh, in our church service in the morning, if last week we thought about a big question, what is the meaning of life? Then as we think about death as a congregation this morning, another uh, big question raises its heads because do we not ask perhaps, is this it? Is life all there is, this life here, or is there something more? Well, the obvious thing, of course, to say is that as Christians, we do believe in life after death. We have a hope, a sure and certain hope that is centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his work. And despite what it might look like on first reading this morning, I firmly believe that from Genesis 49 and 50, God has much to say to us about these things. So this morning, in light of the Queen's passing, of course, we're going to think about death. But we're going to do something more than that this morning. And here at St. Peter's, we are going to consider resurrection. Resurrection from the dead. So I would ask you, please, if you do have a copy of the Bible, even on your phones or whatever it might be, if you would turn back with me to Genesis 49, that last portion of Scripture <coughs> from verse 28, then looking into that first part of Genesis 50. And the first thing that demands our attention, really, I think here, is the hope of resurrection. So despite what it looks like, the first thing that we uh, ought to consider is the hope of resurrection. My wife's grandfather, Catherine's grandfather, uh, for years and years and years, used to make us laugh, used to make the family laugh. Catherine's grandfather, for about 25 years of his life, he lived anticipating that at any moment that he would pass away. For over 20 years of his life, he lived anticipating that at any second that he would die. So much so that Catherine's grandfather developed a catchphrase that he loved to use and that was known by all of the extended family. And this was his catchphrase. So much was he anticipating death that he would often say, I never buy green bananas. <laughs> anticipating death so much, I never buy green bananas. Well, in many ways, is that not similar uh, to the patriarch Jacob? 
Now, if you've been here uh, for the recent sermons in the sermon series, you'll know that in nearly every single one of Jacob's speeches, he has been talking about his imminent death. For the last, I think if you trace it back, for the last 17 to 20 years of his life, he has been talking about his death. But what what happens? Well, this morning we come in here, we turn into this portion in Genesis 49, and we found that uh, at last, in some senses, that death finally comes, that death finally arrives. Now, before that happens, perhaps did you notice that Jacob issues one last instruction to his sons. Did we get that? There is one last, indeed, it is a command to his sons. It's so important to get, have a look at it with me in verse 29. Perhaps we can even project verse 29. What is the last command? Do you notice the language? He commanded them. What is it? I suppose, yes, it's that he be buried in this uh, cave that's hewn out of the rock, and it was bought from, who was it, Ephron the Hittite. Yeah, that's a small picture. What's the grand picture? What's the command, the instruction? I must be buried in Canaan. This is the last and final instruction from his deathbed. I must be buried in Canaan. Now, so adamant is he, and so insistent is he about this. Do you not think we we have to at least pause and consider, well, why is this so important to you? We know, don't we, that that Jacob is not just, he's not a sentimental Scotsman. You know, it's not, uh, oh, you know what we're like, bury me in the graveyard that overlooks Ullapool Beach because I used to play there as a child. And it's not bury me in the family plot uh, outside Bewley because I have to be with my ancestors. We know it's not that, don't we? We know this is not sentimentality. But what is it? Why is it so utterly important that he be buried in Canaan? Now, I want to give you two reasons for this. Two. Get them both. First of all, why Canaan? Because Jacob believes in God's promise of land. I wonder if you'd work with me for a moment, would you? If you've got a Bible, would you do this? Would you turn back in your Bible to Genesis 28? and verse 13. I'll give you that reference again. Genesis 28 and verse 13 for those who don't have a copy of Scripture or who are just too lazy. (laughs) We have projected it on the screen. Now, as you turn there, hopefully, let me just remind you of the backdrop that you already know. So earlier in Genesis, what has happened? God has spoken to Abraham, and God has promised Abraham. Abraham, everything you see, this land that you see, I'm going to give to you and to your offspring. We remember that, don't we? Way back earlier on in Genesis. But what's this? This is Genesis 28. Do you notice? God speaks to Jacob. And what does he say? He says, the the land on which you lie, I'm going to give you and your offspring. Do Do you see that he is restating the covenant promise to Abraham, he, God restates this to who? To, to Jacob. So do you not see it? Why years later, in death, is Jacob determined, insistent that he must be, must be buried in Canaan? Do you see why? It is to demonstrate 
his faith in his God. Here, Genesis 49, Jacob is determined that he be buried in Canaan so that his sons will see and know and that their sons after them and then their sons' sons after them, all of them will be able to see, oh, well, yeah, Jacob had his faults and Jacob was filled with sin and rebellion. But look where he was buried. Do you see? Here was a man who in death was trusting, trusting in the God of promise. Do you know, I'd, uh, I'd love for us to have longer because... Wouldn't it be great to be able to unpack that, this faith in the face of death? We don't, we don't have time because there's a lot in this portion of Scripture. So just let me say this to you. Please hear it. As well as the way you are living right now, the way that you approach death will speak volumes to the next generation about what really mattered to you, Christian friend. The way you're living just now, fine. But the way you face death will speak volumes. So what is it going to be for you, Christian friend? What is going to be important to you in the last years of your your life as you think about, is it just going to be ensuring that the next generation are financially secure? Is that what it's going to be? Is it just going to be about passing on to the next generation and maybe some of the people around you some pearls of wisdom? some things that you've learned over the years, or is it going to be like here with Jacob? And as you approach death, will you be concerned to point the next generation to this God, this great God, this God of covenant promise? Wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to linger on that for a moment? We can't, and you know why we can't, because I said there are two, two reasons why Jacob insists that he is buried in Canaan. Here's the second one. So we, we know the first one. He believes in God's covenant promise of land. Second reason, why Canaan? Why does he say this to his sons? Because Jacob believed in life after death. In a few moments, we're going to have tea and coffee. I don't think there's cake. <laughs> It's probably not, we had cake, if you're not here last week, we had cake last week. Probably not good for our waistlines if we have a big chunk of cake every week. We will have tea and coffee after the service. Um, I'm going to make you work for your tea and coffee and refreshments. We have looked back in the Bible here. If you've got a copy of Scripture, do this with me, please. Turn forward to the New Testament and to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, first of all, try and find verse 21 of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 21. This is so essential to us. What is happening is that the author, now listen and get this, the author of Hebrews is speaking about the very section of Scripture that we are in in Genesis. Isn't that something? So the author of Hebrews is shedding light on Jacob's death. So what what does he say in verse 21? He says that, you know, towards the end of his life, at the end of his life, Jacob is acting in faith. He's on a staff. He's dying, but he's acting in faith. That's great. Now, do this. Look at verse 16 for, uh, for me. 11, so Hebrews 11, verse 16. Do you notice what we've got? So we're told that the patriarchs, so we were told that Jacob in death, 
He is not just looking at Canaan. So by faith in God, he is looking ahead of Canaan, and Jacob is looking beyond Canaan. So does everybody in here see what is going on as we think back to Genesis? Why is it that Jacob insists on being buried in Canaan? Why? Because he believes in life after death. That's why he's instructing his sons in the way he is. So Jacob in death, he understands that this promise that God has made to Abraham to be Abraham's God, to be the God of Abraham's spiritual seed, Jacob understands that is a promise that does not die with death. So Jacob understands that, see this covenant family, the seed of Abraham, they will go to God in death. He understands that. So Jacob looks to Canaan, and yes, it's important, but Jacob understands this is just a sign. See, this land, this promised land of Canaan is just a pledge of something greater, something more. Jacob believes that he will rise in death. Jacob believes he will rise to go to something greater, a heavenly city. He will go to a heavenly land. In death, Jacob believes, I will rise and I will go to my God. Now, come on, in St. Peter's this morning, as you consider that just now, do you not think what an example of faith Jacob is to you and to me and to all of the people of God gathered in this place? Do you not think what an example? And isn't that an amazing example when you consider, and I mean this with great reverence, but when you consider how little Jacob actually knew? I mean, think about it for a moment. At this point in redemptive history, what does Jacob know? Okay, he knows that one day a savior will come. But Jacob doesn't know who that Savior will be. He does not know even what that Savior will do to conquer death and to conquer sin. And look at him here. Despite not having all of that knowledge, what does he do? He looks in the face of death and he trusts God. He trusts and believes, I will rise to my God in death. What an example to us. And so, I ask you, Christian friends, what about us? What about you? Are you just now really and truly believing in life after death? Really? Do you think about it? Do you? The sure hope of your resurrection, is it something that really infiltrates your piety and your devotion? Is it something that regularly leads you to praise the living God, the fact that you will rise? Can I say to you, it ought to. Why? Because this side of Golgotha, you do know exactly, exactly how your eternal life has been secured. You do know exactly what's going to happen to you when you die, don't you? Can I remind you? What does the Heidelberg Catechism say to you? We're going to die. Look, unless Christ comes back, every single one of us soon will pass away. If we are in Christ, what is going to happen? Do you, do you want the answer? Listen to what the Heidelberg Catechism tells you. Not only, now this is you, Christian friends, not only shall your soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ your head, but also this, 
your flesh raised by the power of Christ, it shall be reunited with your soul and made like Christ's glorious body. That is what is going to happen to you. Immediately in death, you will be with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't you agree that we should follow Jacob in these things? We should have our trust in God, our Savior, even in the face of death. So we see hope in resurrection. Second of all, we see honor. Honor in resurrection. Because of uh, all of the hugging that we've witnessed in this sermon series, uh, because of all of the tears that we have seen in the sermon series, all of the falling on the necks that we've witnessed, perhaps it doesn't come as a surprise to you uh, to see that Jacob's actual death is a very emotional moment. That's not a surprise to us. Do you notice Joseph there, the beloved son? And he's not just falling on the neck of his dad. He falls on the face of his dad as, as, his, as his father dies. It's not a surprise that it's emotional, but I do think we ought to at least acknowledge that it is prophecy fulfilled. Now, perhaps you're putting the, 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 the dots together, joining the dots, are you, that it's prophecy fulfilled? Can you remember? Um, chapter 46. Do you remember? Um, Joseph had revealed who he was. Do you remember to his, to his brothers? Remember that? And what did he tell them to do? He said, go up to Canaan and get your father. Bring your father back down to live with me in, in Egypt. Do you, do you remember? And the sons, the, 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 the brothers, they go up. And do you remember that Jacob was hesitant, uh, to put it politely? And he procrastinated. So what did God do in Genesis 46? God appeared to Jacob in a vision. And he said, go. Jacob, it's, it's okay. Go. You will be reconciled to the beloved son. And do you remember the beautiful promise that God gave to Jacob? I think you do. He said, go. And Joseph will close your eyes in death. And so you see, don't you, that 4950 here, this is prophecy, beautiful pro prophecy, and it's fulfilled. But there's a theme here, I think, in this section that is so, it's both so unusual on one hand, and it's also so emphasized in the text that it kind of demands all of our attention. A theme here that really demands our attention. So what is it? You must have noticed it, I think. It is the honor that is paid to Jacob by the Egyptians. Did we all get that when Will was reading out or as you read it before you came to church? This morning, the Egyptians pay Jacob's pagans, let's be honest about it. They pay great honor to Jacob in death. So I think we all noticed it. Let me just pull it apart and point you to a couple of aspects of it. Did you notice the honor of the embalming of Jacob? I think this is actually very easy for us to imagine or get our heads around, don't you? Because I ask you uh, this morning, what do you think of when you think about uh, ancient Egyptians. What do you think about? Maybe if some of the younger people think about uh, school projects they might have done in the, in the recent past about ancient Egyptians. What do you think about? So if I surveyed you, you, don't, you maybe say, oh, pyramids. 
Andy, we think about pyramids if we think about ancient Egyptians, or for those of a certain vintage, you might think about the bangles and walking like an Egyptian. There's a contemporary reference from your minister. (laughs) But I think the vast majority of the congregation, you think about ancient Egyptians and you think about Egyptian mummies. Don't we all, at least we all know what we're talking about. Do you know that that is effectively what we're dealing with here? So the Egyptians at this point in Genesis, as a way of showing greatest honor to Jacob, what they do is they mummify his body in an attempt at least to preserve it for as long as possible. Is that strange? Jacob, this foreigner, and the Egyptians are are honoring him like this. So, So that's the first thing. The second honor is this time of state mourning. Let's look at verse 3 together of chapter 50. Let's put it up. Everyone in the room, surely, surely, you all marveled at God's timing this morning. With everything that's happening, God says, I know what we'll do at St. Peter's. Let's look at a time of state mourning. And that's something, isn't it? But look at it. And, and consider the time scale that we are dealing with in the book of Genesis. Do do you notice the timescale here? You get your head around this. For nearly two and a half months, all of Egypt grinds to a halt in order that this patriarch Jacob from from Canaan might be honored. Can you get your head around that? 70 days. In fact, if you add the 40 days of embalming, might be even longer than that. Now, all of Egypt's forced the state to grieve for this man. Order. Then the third and the last thing here is to notice the funeral procession. You've all seen a funeral procession. If you haven't, you're probably going to soon. As a minister, I've been involved in these uh, a few times, as you can imagine. This idea of the minister, maybe the undertaker's the family, walking ahead of the, the hearth, taking that, sometimes that long, solemn walk from the grave side to the church. You know this funeral? We all seen these? Ah, uh, yeah, okay. But you ain't never seen anything like this. Now look at verses 7 and 8. Now look at it closely. So what happens? So the sons of Jacob. So they are obedient. So they take uh, Jacob's body and they move all the way from Goshen and they move all the way up to to Canaan. But who goes with them? (laughs) I mean, doesn't it blow your mind? Look at this. They're accompanied by state officials. They're accompanied by an Egyptian military escort. And, And does everybody notice the repetition and the emphasis on the word all? All of the state officials, all of the... the, Do you understand what's happening here? Like, anyone who was anyone in the land of ancient Egypt, when they heard news of Jacob's death, they had to stop what they were doing. And anyone who was anyone had to follow and to go go up behind his body and had to go up in this funeral cortege. So what do we ask? This morning at St. Peter's, we scratch our head and we ask... Why? Why these pagan people, these Egyptians, why pouring out all of this honor? 
Well, think back for a moment to, to Abraham again. Okay, what have we said? Come on. We have said that God promised Abraham land. But I'm asking you, what else did God promise the patriarch Abraham? He promised that he would bless him and he would bless his line. In fact, can I read to you what God said about Abraham's seed? God says to Abraham, and I will make your name great. Do you not see what's supposed to happen when we read these verses in Genesis chapter 50? We are supposed to bow and marvel at God's faithfulness to his words, his faithfulness to his covenant promise. He says to Abraham, I will make the name of your family great. And look at what we've got in front of us. I mean, in human terms, you're not with me when I say that it's inexplicable what's going on here. What have you seen in the sermon series? The Egyptians don't like foreigners. What do they hate? Do you remember? The Egyptians hate shepherds. And we have here the grandest state funeral in all of the Bible given by Egyptians for a foreign shepherd. Do you not see we are supposed to bow at the wisdom of God and the power of God, but also the faithfulness of God to his covenant word, his covenant promise? Let me ask you, I've asked you this before, I ask you again, but does this seem remote to you? Does it seem in a way distant to you? If you're a Christian, let me remind you who you're dealing with. Who is Jacob? Who are his sons? Who are these people? They are your spiritual forefathers. This is like you reading your spiritual family tree. And when you remember that for a moment, isn't it wonderful to consider that you sitting in here as a Christian in St. Peter's, you are evidence of what? God's continued faithfulness to his covenant promise. Do you understand that? Do you embrace it? You know, the flourishing church in Southeast Asia today, the flourishing churches in South America, but you sitting in these red seats or sitting in the uncomfortable pews in the balcony, you are evidence that this God who blessed the spiritual seed of Abraham is continuing to do that just now. And even more than that, isn't it marvelous to think that one day that is going to come to a grand finale when all of this is mirrored? Do you understand? One day, very soon, Jesus Christ is going to appear. Christ Jesus, he will come back. And what will happen on that moment as we are summoned like here to enter the promised land? Do you understand that we, the church of Christ, like here, will be vindicated in the sight of our enemies? We will go into the promised land like this, and the whole of the unbelieving world at that moment will be forced to pay honor, like here, to the spiritual seed of Abraham. And why? All because of the same reason as this. All because the sake of the the greater Joseph, all because of the beloved son. 
So we see our hope in resurrection. We see the honor of resurrection. And I close lastly with the harbinger of resurrection. The harbinger of resurrection. Um, If you'll think with me just for a, a moment about Old Testament prophets, would you do that? Think about Old Testament prophets. I think when we do that, if we think about the, all of the Old Testament prophets, there, there is a mistake that we can make. If you're like me, often when you think of the Old Testament prophets, you think of their job, their function, as being to tell the people of God a message from God. Is that how you think about the Old Testament prophets? Not just me, I'm sure. What was the the role and the function of the Old Testament prophets? They hear a message from God and they deliver that message. They tell that message. They speak that message to the people of Israel. Okay? Now, that's not wrong. The problem is it's just not a full, round enough view of Old Testament prophecy. Now, stick with me. It's important for these verses. We have to remember that sometimes the role of the Old Testament prophet was to act out a message from God. Do you see the difference? Not just to tell a message, I've said this to you before, but to act out, to enact prophecy so that there would be an illustration of a message from God. Can you think of examples? Hundreds hundreds and hundreds of examples in Old Testament Scripture. An Old Testament prophet's acting out. Let's think about one that will grab your attention. Hosea. Hosea told by God to marry a prostitute in order to convey or illustrate the unfaithfulness of the people. Everybody with me now, right? Isn't that true? So the prophets to act out a message from God. Well, although it might not be immediately obvious, I want to suggest to you that that's actually what you have got in your hands just now. As Jacob, who is just, let's face it, come on, if you're here last week or the week before, as Jacob, as one who has just proven his credentials as a prophet with his sons around his bed, as he in death is taken up from Egypt to Canaan, what you have got in front of you is acted prophecy. Of what? You know the answer, don't you? This is enacted prophecy of the Exodus event. An active prophecy of that event where Moses will lead the people out of Egypt to the promised land. Now, I think we can get our heads around that, can't we? This inactive prophecy of the Exodus, but maybe you're skeptical. So, let me prove it to you, can I? First of all, just think about the players here. Who do we have? So we've got, on one hand, we've got the fledgling people of Israel traveling from Egypt to Canaan. The other hand, we have got the Egyptians. Here, they're the companions. Later, they will pursue the people of God, won't they? So that's the players. But then I want you to think about the route. Uh, I wonder if we can project verses 10 and 11. And if you can have a look at verses 10 and 11, there's a few other references. But this is difficult. It's difficult to establish. But when you examine it and look at it, It seems as though this crowd, so this funeral procession that we just thought about, that they take a very unusual route to Egypt. That's the main thing for us to to get our heads around. So they don't just travel the normal way to Canaan, rather. And if we look at it, what they seem to do is they go to the east. Now listen, everyone. They go to the east. They seem to go to the Jordan Valley, 
this funeral procession seemed to enter Canaan near Jericho. Does that ring any bells? This circuitous route, this very unusual route at the time, was exactly the same route as later on the people would take in the Exodus led by Moses. You had the same players. You had the same route. What else? You also have the same terminology. Now listen to this. Not only do you have a verb here that's repeated that is used time and again in the Exodus. So this verb, to go up, to go up, to go up, repeated here, repeated in the Exodus event. And, lest you not be uh, (laughs) convinced, you also have the same word groups, horsemen, chariots, flocks, uh, uh, herds, children, all used here, all used later on, even the response of the crowd. Do you notice that? The funeral cortege goes and arrives in Canaan. It pauses for seven days in mourning, and whose interest is piqued? Did you notice emphasis is given to the people of the land? Anticipating what will happen later on in the Exodus as the people of God go into Canaan and subdue the Canaanites. Do you see everything in here is pointed to this as acted prophecy? Who is Jacob? What are we supposed to see? Jacob is one who has gone on ahead of his people to the promised land as a forerunner. And as we end, and as we think about that, in light of the New Testament, isn't that a wonderful thing? And a beautiful thing to consider? Because what is it that we know that Jesus Christ has done? What is the good news of the gospel? What is it that you cling on to? In our Lord's resurrection, he's done the same thing. In our Lord's resurrection, he, like Jacob here, our Lord has gone on ahead of his people. Do you not see that? What does John 14 tell you? Jesus Christ assures his church, I go on before and I will prepare a place for you. That Jesus Christ, like Jacob is here, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of your resurrection, my resurrection, our resurrection as a church. And I want you to listen to this. I want you to hear it and take it with you as Jacob here acts as a forerunner going to a tomb that was hewn out of the rock in the promised land. So our Lord Jesus Christ has acted as a forerunner going from a tomb hewn out of the rock, going to the promised land. Jesus Christ, as Jacob here, Jesus Christ gone on before you. What I think that should do for us this morning, what it should do for you, Christian friend, is fill you with absolute confidence that in death, you are going to be raised. There is life after death for you because after all, (laughs) is that not what this God who we have seen always keeps his covenant promise, is that not what God has assured you of in his word? Were you here for Dennis Williams' funeral? Do you remember our call to worship? We thought about death 
And Jesus said to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Or what about, wait, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Put this in your back pocket as you go home. What does Paul say? He says this, listen, he says, we believe. What do we believe, Paul? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus all those who have fallen asleep in him. So this weekend and this coming week, our nation reels the weight of death, the vacancy of death, the confusion of death. But what confidence we have, what hope we have in the gospel, don't we? Because Christ Jesus for us has defeated death. He has defeated sin. He has gone on ahead of us and now as people who are united to Jesus by faith, it is absolutely, utterly certain that in death we will go to be with Jesus in the promised land. The only, the only matter remaining is whether you believe in him. Do you?